Welcome to season seven of Jesus Has Left the Building. We'll hear from guests all over the country who've been engaging in creative, bold, and fluid, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building practices that have inspired us. Our topic of discussion has emerged out of intersectional feminism, leaning into feminist and womanist practices born out of the stories of women, ancient and modern, and are practiced by and include all people as we ritualize relationship. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, womanists, feminists, activists, scholars, authors, and liturgy makers have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Woo, Mandy, this has been quite the season, uh, super exciting for me. Um, this is Marta, and um, this much of this season was our desire to dive into um, intersectional feminist approach to worship and it also went a little bit broader than that in many in many cases um, but we really um, heard from a lot of people about this idea of ritualizing relationships which is also a big part of my doctorate of ministry program and so this this was part of my research and I think that um, I learned a ton and I think um, Mandy I think you learned a ton um, and I think totally offered some really uh, great uh, juicy uh, practices for people out there in the world and I think that I just wanted to speak a little bit into this idea of ritualizing relationship um, real quick. And I think Mandy probably has some thoughts on that too, as we have had these conversations. And so we just wanted to step into that space a little bit as we near the end of this season. This idea of ritualizing relationships Actually, um, I pulled that phrase from a couple of uh, feminist scholars around liturgy, particularly Marjorie Proctor Smith, um, who, who speaks about it um, as one of the primary feminist approaches to worship. And it's, it's around creating and reimagining church rituals that actually bind participants. For me, it really like lands into this idea of what does it truly mean to be in covenant with each other within the worship space. And uh, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, which is um, many of you know out there, um, a guest on the podcast in one of our previous seasons. She is, she was in one of our previous seasons and she's always saying amazing things on social media and, um, and in her books and writings and, um, and of course, um, in her church, Middle Collegiate. But she says that religion in its truest form should reconnect human beings and bind them again to the creation, to one another and to the divine within you know that sort of community space and I guess that the the question that I have or the idea that um, also has come up in this podcast is that there's many forms of what we might call um, American normalizing of ritualizing relationships like um, cisgender heterosexual 
weddings. Mm-hmm. That is a form of ritualizing relationship. And um, so I, and that's great and wonderful, um, but what we're trying to do is sort of um, disrupt that norm and create a ritualizing relationship that um, is is diverse and creative and happens in a multitude of ways and truly includes everybody into um, covenantal relationship with each other. Yeah, um, it's and it's so interesting. I was actually just having this conversation um, with my team here in my new position because, as you know, I've moved to the middle of Kansas, and you know, it's really interesting to be in this space where it it really is primarily a homogenous community. We are mostly white. We are mostly middle class. We are mostly Christians, and actually, mostly Lutherans. Like. Um, and so we were talking like totally randomly with this team of people who are not even all, um, mostly not theological people and the one, um, pastoral staff on this team, but we were talking about like, um, that idea of the norm and how the, the only way you can hold on to the sense of anything being normal is if you never experience anything else. Because as soon as you get out of um, that thing that you are used to, you start to see what is happening around you. And so like the example you bring, Marta, around, um, you know, cis het weddings in, in this way, like, so, so what do people who are, who don't identify in that way, how do they get to ritualize their relationship? Right. And so we have to, and so I think this is what um, we've been trying to do, especially with this season of the podcast, but with the podcast in general, I'm just thinking about, we started this podcast, Jesus has left the building in the context of something completely abnormal as we all moved into the pandemic, right? And it forced us to think about ways to be in community and even this this podcast was our worship um in the spaces we were serving for a little while so like we we had to we were forced to get creative about that um and so this podcast is like was born out of this idea of ritualizing relationships in a new way and it all starts with really opening up our eyes to see what's around us and what's different, right? Which is especially as, um, you know, white people, straight people, uh, all of those, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> the mythical norm as Audre Lorde calls it, um, like it's so easy to not see it if you don't want to. Yeah, so, you know, this idea of ritual is for us connected to this idea of sacred and holy and um, and honoring every single human as a beloved child of God. So I want to tell a quick story. Roger and I went to the theater and um, this December, we're in the holiday season and we saw um, this show um, it's a Wonderful Life, and you know everybody knows this well-known 1946 um, story and film that you know many of us have watched every single season since we were a child. And but 
the theater that we go to here in Colorado Springs has this new director doing this sort of new and cool thing by really um, centering stories and bodies and people um, that um, are, are not only, you know, white, um, normalized American culture people in the casting, in the storytelling, in, um, in any of it. And so um, this cast um, was George Bailey, who was a white man, his wife, Mary, who was a black woman, um, they also had several non-binary characters um, on the cast and a woman who had a really strong role um, as far as her profession and job. And that didn't happen in 1946. Right. <laughs> and, None of that. And so this director wanted to, you know, give a 1946 that fully included all people in that storytelling and in that American dream. And, and that director is doing it over and over and over again. So it is becoming this ritualizing of relationship. It is normalizing the diversity of all people in the, that space. Um, and I think that's what I particularly wanna do with worship is I don't want it to just be this clergy person who um, who is who has learned this patriarchal model, who has um, learned from their mentors only one way to be, um, but rather opens that space up for all the voices, all the participants in the congregation, all voices um, that we know and love in our world. And I think that is probably what Kinship Commons is actually trying to do also. Yeah, so we are um, excited to share a little bit about um, the work that this organization, Kinship Commons, is doing. They are um, just kind of getting off the ground. They're really launching right now. And um, we had a conversation with two of their founding um, leaders this fall, um, Angie and Jennifer. And so you'll hear some snippets of our conversation and the kinds of things that they are doing to really lean into this idea of centering those voices that have, have not been centered, that have been cast to the um, margins for so long. It's a Wonderful Life is such a great example, Marta, because that is like such a classically American, everybody knows it. And um, if we just go with what we know, we literally just for the you know rest of eternity, we just watch It's a Wonderful Life with these white, straight, quote unquote, normal characters. And just by simply shifting the casting, we start to think about all kinds of new possibilities, new stories, new um, centering of bodies and experiences that we had no concept of before. Even, you know, whether you, um, you know, stay after for a conversation about that or not, it forces you to think about what, um, 
what you wouldn't have thought about before. And Kinship Commons is doing this same thing in the actual worship space, centering those voices of Latina immigrants, of um, Korean Americans, of people of color, of women, of storytellers who are bringing that new perspective in. And I just think it's so exciting that this work is really happening across you know, multiple areas in Christianity and beyond. Okay, hello to Angie and Jennifer. We are so glad that you are here um, representing Kinship Commons. We are, um, Marta, you found Kinship. How did you find them? I did. I did find them. Um, well, I, I was talking with Kendall Rothes, oh, right. um, mm-hmm. who is one of the founders of Nevertheless She Preached. Um, Kendall and I know each other through a mutual friend, and she actually lived in Colorado Springs for a little bit and attended the church I serve. And so I got to know her on a deeper level and the work that she was doing around um you know, smashing the patriarchy, like we all should be doing, right? And I was talking with her and she was giving me um, some ideas um, of who would be awesome for this season's podcast because she knew I was doing this um, intersectional feminist approach to worship for my doctorate of ministry program. And she was really excited about you all and said, you, you need to have conversations with them. I don't know if she meant for me to have you on the podcast or for me to just <laughs> like have conversations with you for my research. Um, but I, I thought, hey, perfect. Let's, let's actually do this because you are, your group, Kinship Common, is the exact thing that I am doing. I am centering voices that are often marginalized in our traditional um, Protestant US churches. And I wanna hear more because I don't, I think that is just like the surface of it. I don't think it's nearly um, what you all do. So I'm super excited to hear your story and to learn from you and hopefully I can use it. Um, <laughs> if, if I can, if you'll let me. <laughs> We're glad so, to be um, here. Yeah, yeah, we're glad to have you. So we um, were talking just a little bit before we um, pressed record about, um, so Angie and Jennifer, you represent um, the um, group, but there are actually four mm-hmm. of you. So we'd love for you to just talk, um, you know, tell us all there is to know about what you all are doing, um, who's involved, how you're doing it, how you started, um, and really like, what it means for you all to center these voices um, in, in your particular context. Yeah, well, thanks for having us. And this is perhaps one of my favorite things to talk about is how did Kinship Commons come about? Uh, for me, it really started with a Spanish word, Galco Madreo, which is um, kinship relations that particularly center the feminine energy. And uh, Julie, Ty, Tamisha Tyler, and I all met in a season of life where we were asking questions about what it meant to be the people of God, but ways that started to crumble at the ways that we had always imagined that to be. And so it happened with a deep friendship um, that turned into, and what if we do something 
about it. Um, it happened through a lot of meals, a lot of tables. I met Angie through different uh, spaces as well. And so it was born out of kinship. And so the name is not just uh, an aspiration. <laughs> it's actually the foundation from where we've come to be what we are today. Um, and so I think the name itself embodies, again, not something we aspire to be, but something from where we were birthed out of, which is a deep kinship, but also a commons, right? This coming together of a community that isn't um, held by boundaries of exclusion and inclusion, which is often have left people like me, an immigrant Latino woman on the outside of said exclusive tables. And so the commons as a coming together that is inclusive and celebratory and honest uh, and springs from a place of deeply knowing one another. And so we're actual friends <laughs> who have had these conversations for years and felt energy around, and what if we build it together? I often talked about how I felt like I've been holding a hammer in my hand for a very long time. And for a bit, a lot of my energy went to dismantling and smashing all the isms around me. And then I kind of looked around and I found a group of comadres and compadres who said, and what if we just start to build something different? And to still take the hammer and instead of it going, having all my energy go towards dismantling these places and these um, ideologies and yeah, bodies of gatherings that don't include and will never include and will never center. What if I take that same hammer and just build something mm -hmm. um, so that others don't have to keep smashing? I'm done smashing. I, I'd rather build. And I get mm -hmm. to do it with these incredible women. So mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's really great. Um, just curious. I would love, like, what is your background? Who are you in the world? Like, um, all of all of why was that funny? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> of course, I would skip them. <laughs> so bad at the intro stuff. Oh, no, it's actually really great. And I think speaks uh, to um, your whole idea, generally speaking, because those those titles and those um, the, those things that we have strived to do, um, you know, sometimes they're like not as important as the real relationships that we build. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. Yes. So I can go and then Angie. Um, you can go after, but my name is Jennifer Guerraldana and I am calling in from San Diego, California, where I spend my days reading a ton about theological education, which is where my PhD is found, and also work towards providing resources for young people, particularly like adolescents to young adults. Uh, and yeah, so I spend my days reading, writing, um, cooking, and texting friends that I miss that live very far away. But so, what yeah. kind of resources? Yeah, so I work at Fuller Youth Institute, and so most of the resources you would find um, that I've been working on with a team um, would be available on that website. So, FullerYouthInstitute.org. Nice. Particularly the conversations around multiculturalism. Uh, youth leader formation, training, uh, congregational change, all those, 
all those words, but that's, that's really great. I have my undergraduate in Christian ed and worked with young Mm. people for a really long time and curated resources like that. And so that's partly why I was super um, curious about, about that work. Yeah. I, I I will always have a heart for young people. So wherever I go, I'll, I'll create conversations alongside and with them. Nice. Um, and I'm Angie Hong. I'm a Korean American um, worship leader, writer, and speaker. Um, I recently graduated from Duke Divinity School with an MDiv last year. Before that, I was a creative director of the Chicago campus of a church called Willow Creek Community Church, which is one of the first like mega sort of churches. But before that, that was my first ever uh, evangelical church experience. Before that, I was um, helping to uh, plant uh, sort of new faith community um, efforts in my area of Durham, North Carolina. I'm originally from Atlanta. Um, I have written for The Atlantic and Christianity Today and Reckon South. Um, I, in terms of worship, um, I got to write a chapter in a book um, that was co-edited by Grace G. Sung Kim and Jen Aldridge Clanton um, called Intercultural Ministries, Hope for a Changing World. And so that was really my first time that I wrote seriously about worship and about intercultural um, and multi um, sort of style of worship. Um, And before that, I had been in a band, a worship band called Menders, and we were really shaped by the theology of reconciliation, not racial reconciliation, but reconciliation. And um, so that was deeply formative to um, how I understand worship and And I got to know uh, Julie through the conferencing circuit, and then I eventually got to meet Jennifer and um, eventually Tamisha, and they have their own areas of expertise too. And so the four of us, like Jen said, um, we were just getting together and dreaming up what can we actually do together. And so this story of kinship really comes out of being in the margins of our institutions of our churches even and really coming together to dream together and so we've been um about a year in existence we're still sort of getting things together um while we can while working full-time jobs some of us and being full-time students um but yeah that's sort of our story give us a little um tidbit on julian um tamisha where do we begin? Just kidding. I know. Where do we begin? They're not here. They're not here. I'll start. How about I go to Misha and you do Julie? Yeah, that sounds good. Awesome. So Tamisha Tyler is um, a, a newly rendered doctor and her work is around the work of Octavia Butler, Afrofuturism, and um, the role of theopoetics in our conversations of worship. And so she is a theologian, she's a poet, she's a scholar, and she loves to think about the intersections that deeply uh, birth liturgies that would speak to uncommon spaces. She has led different kind of liturgical practices around police reform, police brutality, abolitionist movements, um, and the list goes on. And so she has created liturgical resources from the margins for all of the time that I've known her um, and will continue to do so from a particular 
interest in Octavia Butler and what she has to teach us about God. And Julie is um, another fellow musician and Korean American woman, uh, leader, worship leader, a worship producer, a liturgist mm -hmm. um, who's very talented at what she does. Uh, she is the chapel director at Fuller Seminary currently. Very nice. You guys are, um, you all are like total powerhouses over here. And so tell us about like when you come together and tell us about what that looks like and then the creation that comes out of it. Like what's your process? What does that look like? How do you get your work out there? What is, um, how is kinship um, moving spaces and environments and experiences for all people really? Um, what does that look like? Well, our, our goal really is to um, create, create liturgies and experiences that are for us, by us. So centering marginalized um, people of color, um, LGBTQ plus, um, and we really strive to have that as a part of our co-creator. So the commons is really us working together with different artists who also find themselves in sort of marginalized spaces, but with a very clear talent skill set, skill set uh, call um, to do this work. And so we want to come alongside and help give um, give voice to and also um, pair up with and collaborate with. And um, our clients um, as well, we, even if those clients tend to be institutions, we still are very clear that we're centering our experiences, um, not as a performance, but it, it is an invitation really uh, to join the table that we, that we have set and that we have centered um, as ourselves, not in a selfish way or in a way that is is like move over it's our turn now not like that but mm -hmm. it is very accessible um it is very um invitational but it is very clearly centered on the margins that's what we strive to do um and that's yeah that's that's what happens um we you know we're not in a regular rhythm right we're we're not church musicians that gather on an every sunday um that uh, gives us the breathing room to really create and dream things together so when you ask about process it is really taking um the original idea or theme or scripture and really um doing a lot of um a lot of discussion and exegesis. I mean, Jennifer is a pro at that. And so, uh, and then from there, really coming up with, with uh, experiences that center our experiences and the things that we've been through and our stories and really creating, um, we're really kind of setting a table, I, I think in, in a lot of ways. And so um, it's really exciting because there are no, um, although there are parameters, there are no um, hard set, we must stop it here. There's no gate that's keeping us from dreaming big. And um, we have different skill sets 
that add um, to actually creating it and executing it and and things like that. So we've created a series of videos. You know, we were birthed during the pandemic where a lot of stuff was on video. And um, thanks to like our very savvy um, Julie, who has been doing uh, virtual services forever now at Chapel um, at Fuller, she's figured it out. And so we have really taken that and and taken it next level with um, centering our experiences. So that's been great. So we've created a series of like video um, content um, and it's been really interesting to, we, we create worship practices for an online learning platform called Faith, Faith and Justice. And um, it's the first time where we really provided resources that could be worship um, asynchronously like not together, but, but together at the same time. And that's been a learning experience. So we're still, um, yeah, we're, we're still figuring that out, but yeah. Jennifer, do you want to add more things? Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I would say that there was a process before the kinship common process happened. And I think the four of us, um, in, in our unique background. So, um, as a Latina immigrant preacher, I have been bilingually preaching since I was in my teens. And so this has just been my life, all my life. But when you think of worship, oftentimes you wouldn't think of preaching being a part of that in the ways that people equate worship to songs we sing together. And so there was a process even before we came together of each of us honing in into our crafts and the ways that we would bring um, even the marginal uh, spaces of what e people even think worship is. So where um, Angie and Julie are musicians and artists, but also theologians in their own right. Um, Tamisha is a poet and she is a liturgist and she thinks about words in ways that I have not encountered somebody else who thinks about words and how they are crafted together like she does. And I think a ton about how do we communicate these good, how do we proclaim? <laughs> and I happen to do that through the craft of preaching. And I consider it an art. I consider it an art form that has often been just flattened to things people say from pulpits. But preaching could be done in so many ways, so many arenas, so many um, artistic ways. I happen to do it bilingually. And so the four of us had a process before we arrived where there was a commitment to if we are tired of not being included, we don't just want to create things out of out of a rejected experience, but from a place of abundance that sees our backgrounds, that sees our craft as being gifts that we're going to offer the world and other um, other sisters and other brothers and other siblings in the process with us. And so we always bring our full selves to the conversations we have. And so there's a there's our own personal process of crafting and honing our gifts. And then there's something that happens together. And um, I often, there isn't like an agenda that we do <laughs> that in itself centers a particular kind of thinking and doing and pro like the, the question of process. I often think of the linear ways people set up meetings and people mm -hmm. set up like, first we do this and then we do that. And then we do this other thing. And mm -hmm. that is so not the way that we create. <laughs> mm -hmm. We relate first and foremost. Um, we connect with whatever it is scripture or it is a question. Sometimes our biggest creative moments have happened because we're like, what is this about? 
And we, and we just simmer in it and simmer and simmer and simmer. And then after conversation, somebody will start to be like, that sounds like a prayer or that sounds like a song, or that sounds like a, a, a kind of video we can create, or that sounds like this kind of resource. But it's really seldom that we start with the very famous white supremacist business mm-hmm. way of being like, start with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. That's not never what we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. We begin with ourselves in mind, with mm-hmm. our own humanity and experience and how mm-hmm. God is meeting us there. That's mm-hmm. where we begin. And there mm-hmm. isn't a linear process. Every project has had its own beautiful fruition to it. And it flows because it's honest. It's not trying to pretend something or it's mm-hmm. not trying to be like, this mm-hmm. aesthetic has to be achieved or this is the sound. <laughs> it's a surprise every time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very beautiful every time. Mm-hmm. When we create resources, um, it is not from a place of teaching others or wanting to be a model for others or to provide the framework or or, uh, rubric, but it is just because we create from this place, but it isn't for the particular, the focus is to build, not necessarily to become a template or to... um, have something people can compare themselves to. I think that is part of the part of the framework of worship, um, particularly more liturgical spaces that we, I would say, I would love for us to like push against even that kind of temptation to say like, hold kinship commons up and say like, see, just do what they do. Um, I would say that's, that kind of goes against the FUBU to begin with. Mm-hmm. It is who are, who, who surrounds you? And what is the unique things that you need to interrogate in yourselves, in your community? And every time I travel somewhere, I always find, I always find the margins. And so for wherever you go, as, as white as it might look, that in itself is a panethnic reality. And I rejoice for when white sisters and brothers and siblings do the deep work of interrogating their whiteness and interrogating what what is their story? What are the isms and all the anti things that we have swallowed up um, to make space for when that for when more diversity could come in the room to make that even possible instead of just hoping for the assimilated ones to come through the door. Um, absolutely with us we do want to make sure that people know how to find you and your work um so your website is kinshipcommons.com and then also instagram is really a good place to find kind of what you're doing on a regular um day-to-day week-to-week basis right yes awesome we will we will direct people your way And next week is our last episode in this season, and we are going out with this huge bang. Dr. Christina Cleveland is joining, yeah, joined us to tell her story, and she just put out a book called God is a Black Woman. Um, So she is also reimagining um, God um, from her lens, from her life story, and she tells this beautiful story. Um, go out and get her book because it's actually amazing. Her own um, journey from a child all the way up to an adult um, of journeying to find those Black Madonnas, mm-hmm. to reimagine 
God as this black woman and how that um, that idea of God really um, lands in her heart and um, and works for her. So she her body, her personhood is no longer excluded from that narrative. Yeah, and it's it's brilliant um, the way that she does that to through her own narrative and her own story, which then draws people into relationship, right? It's this, uh, it's like the quintessential example, I think, of ritualizing relationship. You know, she goes on this search um, to see the Black Madonna, which like, you know, these idols and icons and um, statues all over the world are um, some of them like ancient images of who God is, um, who God has been, and they have been um, forgotten or maybe never known by the majority of white American Christianity. And she's bringing those um, images to the center so that we can start to do that work to, um, you know, to think outside of these norms outside of the box, outside of the building where we have our white Jesus stained glass. Um, Because, you know, listeners, Jesus was not white. (laughs) Mary was not white. God is not white. God is beyond all of those things. And being able to experience God in those ways, being able to deeply connect in with God, to recognize that God dwells within each of us in our own image, whatever our image looks like, um, is mind boggling and maybe even heretical for some people. But once that can be heard and embraced and understood, I think can be liberating for all of us. So do not miss the final episode of Season 7, Ritualizing Relationships with the Dr. Christina Cleveland. If you like what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, consider supporting the podcast at patreon.com backslash jhltb. This podcast is made possible by the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ Tributary Fund. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world.